Right, let's pray. Our Lord and our Father, as we turn to reflect upon your word, we ask that you will lead us by your Spirit into your truth. In Jesus we pray. Amen. Well, it's nice to be with you again. Dave really has sort of gone away and left anyone preaching with all these difficult topics. <laughs> and even if you dealt with adultery last week, the Old Testament reading took you back there again. That you shouldn't stray after women that will entice you. It's very strange that in Proverbs, it always seems to be that way. And all these enticing men, they don't seem to be the warnings to the women. But we haven't actually got that today, except by um, one reference in the text. We're here with this section on divorce and oaths. Now, it's very interesting that if we'd have been here 400 years ago, the passage on divorce, we'd have said, yes, that's right, and probably just moved on. But the one on oaths would probably have got us stirred up quite a bit. Um, I don't know whether any of you still got prayer books. And if you have, if you ever look at the 39 articles, they're still the official doctrinal basis of the Church of England. All those, and all those who become um, ministers in the Church of England, become vicars of churches, they have to swear that this is the doctrine they'll uphold. But of course, very few actually read them. But if you do read them through and you get right the way through to the end of the 39 articles, the last article is the one that is all about oaths, of a Christian man's oath. As we confess that oath and rash swearing is forbidden Christian men by our Lord Jesus Christ and James his Apostle, so we judge that Christian religion doth not prohibit but that a man may swear when the magistrate requireth, in a cause of faith and charity, so it be done according to the prophet's teaching, in justice, judgment and truth. <clears throat> At a time when there had been a return to biblical authority, and these verses, like the one that we read this morning, and like the verses in James, were becoming, people were paying attention to them again. The question was, well, what happens about official oaths? Who here has had to swear an oath to the Queen? A few of you have, yes, yes. Then there are those of you who've done jury service or been witnesses in a court of law who've had to swear. And of course, at the time when the prayer book was being put together and the 39 articles, the question of were you loyal to the monarch? Would you swear your oath of allegiance was the crucial thing? And of course, there were Christians around who said, well, Jesus said you shouldn't swear oaths. But then the state said, if you won't swear an oath, you're probably a papist and we know what to do with you. <laughs> Um, so the 39 articles tell us that Jesus actually doesn't forbid the swearing of oaths. 
Although I know there are still Christians today, one of my friends was amongst them, who when they go up into court, if they have to go as a witness in a case, they just want to affirm. Because the idea of swearing upon the Bible, they say, is wrong. But the 39 articles say you may do so. So if you're a good Anglican, you can swear your oaths. But for most of us, and I will come back to that in a moment, but for most of us this is not a problem. It's not a current issue, as it was at the time the 39 articles were produced. But this question of divorce, what Jesus says about divorce, is a little bit more tricky for us today. Divorce is common amongst us. Maybe some of you are divorcees. Some of you may actually be great testimonies to the grace of God in that you've gone through a divorce and then made a new loving and faithful relationship that is a testimony to the grace of God. Don't know who's that calling, but still. <laughs> you get to that point in a sermon and a bell rings and you think, what are we being summoned to? It's rather like when you speak of the wrath of God and suddenly there's a thunderstorm. And just at the moment when you say, the judgment will come, this great flash of lighting. Anyway, we'll leave the bells for a moment. But yes, I mean, some of you may have been through a divorce. And when you come to this sort of passage, you wonder, where are you? Marriage is not easy. There may be times when divorce is the only way out of an impossible situation. And as I said, many second marriages are testimonies to the grace of God. Restoring lives, restoring trust in relationships. But we do live in a society where divorce has become quite common. The last reliable statistics are 2017, when there were 101,669 divorces of opposite-sex couples in the UK. Quite a number of people. And in June this year it was announced that legislation will be brought forward for no-fault divorce. It's interesting that if you do ask what are the reasons for divorce, I brought the statistics with me because someone might ask me these things. <laughs> the uh, unreasonable behaviour was the most common reason for a divorce, with 52% of wives and 30% of husbands petitioning on those grounds. So obviously husbands are more unreasonable than wives, one thinks for that. And it's also most common amongst same-sex couples divorcing, because 83% of divorces involving women, and 73% of those between two men, were because of unreasonable behaviour. So whereas in a marriage, in a heterosexual marriage, the husband is more unreasonable, apparently women who marry each other are more unreasonable. So you can make what you like of that. In actual fact, of course, statistics show that divorce has been going down in Britain. But someone, when a, 
over at uh, Gravely we had a cafe church so there was discussion in the service and what have you and someone we talked about this and of course the reason might be that fewer couples are marrying and so you get fewer divorces there's a couple I'm marrying in a couple of weeks time and they've been together for many years and so I said well why have you only now marrying now and they said well we didn't want to marry and then divorce we wanted to test it and see if it worked first and hopefully it will continue to work but do we accept divorce as being so common that it's not something to talk about and we wonder why we are presented with these words of Jesus here about divorce and his words later in Matthew in chapter 19 where he speaks more extensively about divorce and I'll refer to that a bit in a moment. Now Dave gave us a title for today's session and it was Keeping Promises. And that I think is a very good title. Usually when I get given titles I question what on earth they mean. But this one is a good title because it does bring the two passages together. And this has been alluded to at the beginning of the service. I was a little bit worried as you began to speak that you'd take so much of my sermon that I would, I'd sort of say, thank you, I'll go home now. But you did allude to this fact because... Both of these passages speak about keeping promises. They speak about people keeping promises within marriage. And they speak about people speaking the truth, not needing to swear an oath. Let's just think about the cultural background of what is said here, so that we see it within its context. Let's talk about divorce. Divorce was only the prerogative of the husband. And the rabbis had different views about why you could divorce your wife. There were two main schools of rabbis. One said, well, anything that annoys you about her, divorce her. You know, she hasn't got your breakfast in time, divorce her. But the other rabbi said, no, you shouldn't divorce your wife except for adultery. And Jesus obviously comes down on that side. Because he says that that is the only possible reason for divorce. In chapter 19, when he deals with this matter again, he says the only fact that there are divorces allowed within Jewish society is because of your hardness of heart. That this wasn't God's intention. God's intention from the beginning was that men and women should come together in a loving relationship and they should promise fidelity to each other as long as they both shall live. It's about keeping promises. It's about forming a covenant relationship. It's something we need to be reminded of. In the Old Testament, in the book of Malachi, um, Malachi 2.16 in the old translation, not in this translation, has God saying, I hate divorce. 
God seeing divorce as being not his will and his purpose for his people. So that is about keeping promises. And why is this so important? There are two sections to our Bible. They're both called testaments, aren't they? And that word testament can be translated covenant. Because the two sections are about two covenants, two sets of promises that God has given. The old covenant, beginning really with God's great promise to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. I will be your God. I will make you a great nation. I will give you a land to dwell in. And through you all the peoples of the earth will be blessed. And throughout the Old Testament, we've got the stories of that covenant, <coughs> that covenant relationship, often pictured as the relationship between a husband and wife, that God is the husband to his people. But what are his people like? His people are often rebellious against them, him. They go after other gods. They are like an unfaithful wife. And then we get the question, God keeps his promises. Even though they have sinned, even though within their, this spiritual marriage relationship, they have been unfaithful. God remains faithful. And maybe it's the book of Hosea that works this out in the greatest detail. I don't know whether you've... How you, I asked in gravely whether David had a series on Hosea, and I don't think you have had a series on Hosea yet. I always wondered why it was the wives group at Oak Hill had a series of Bible studies on Hosea. But still, Hosea is a fascinating book, isn't it? If you haven't read it recently, it tells the story of a prophet who's told to marry a woman who's going to be unfaithful to him. And they have three children. The first child is his. The other two, who knows who they are. And there's this wife that goes off after lovers. And there's the prophet's anguish. The way to deal with her. The judgments that come upon her. But in the end, here is God speaking to Israel through the prophet. How can I give you up? God's love even for an adulterous nation. And throughout the Old Testament we get this, this question, don't we? How can God be faithful to his promise if his people are breaking the promises, if his people are in rebellion? And it's only really when we come into the New Testament and we see the foreshadowing of that within some of the prophets that we see the only answer is going to be when God himself comes in the person of his Son to take the sin of his people upon him, that they might be forgiven, that they might be brought into a new relationship, not based upon their actions, but be based on the actions of God himself. And then, of course, in the New Testament, in the New Covenant, we have all the New Covenant promises. That if we believe in Jesus, we have assured salvation. 
We have eternal life. We have the promise of a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness will dwell and where we will have new bodies. And this great promise is given because God is a God of promises. Paul can say in in, one, in 2 Corinthians 1, all the promises of God are yes in Jesus. Why is it that Christians should seek to have marriages that don't end in divorce? One is that the Christian marriage is a witness to the faithfulness of God. Paul in Ephesians 5 compares the church and its relationship to Jesus Christ as that between a husband and a wife. It's a very challenging passage, isn't it? Passage most challenging, I think, for the husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Every time I read that, I think, hmm, don't know I'm quite getting there yet. this pattern that we are those who are in a relationship with the God of the universe through Jesus Christ and we have been espoused to him and he is going to be faithful to his promises and as we are faithful to our promises within marriage we become living examples of God's relationship with his people that Christian marriages are a testimony to the truth of God. One of the exciting things when I worked in Indonesia was when there were Muslims who were wanting to come to faith in Jesus Christ. And I asked them, what began to attract you to the Christian message? And they might have named one of the members of my congregation and they said it was their marriage that I saw and I wanted a marriage like that. I wanted to have that and seeing that marriage I wanted to know the God that had inspired a marriage like that. There's a lovely story told from another from the Middle East I believe of a woman who became a Christian, a Muslim woman who became a Christian. And the husband's family told him that he must kill her because she was an apostate. And the story is told of how he came home and he looked at his sleeping wife and thought, well, do I strangle her? Do I stab her? Do I smother her? And then he thought, I can't do it. And this sort of went on. And then he suddenly realised that actually he had a better wife than he'd had before. And he began to think, this wife is the best wife possible. And if that's because she's become a Christian, then perhaps I ought to become a Christian as well. It's what 1 Peter says, isn't it? Looking at a situation where there were Christian wives with non-Christian husbands... And it says that the Christian husband would see what the wife's life was like and then be drawn to the gospel. And this Middle East couple, they in the end had to just leave the country because they knew his family would kill them both because they'd become Christians. 
But there was that developing relationship, that understanding of the nature of our God because the Christian message is a testimony. I think we need to look at our marriages to ask whether our marriages are a witness to the gospel. Jesus takes the line that there's only one reason for divorce. Sexual immorality. That breach of the marriage relationship when there become three in that marriage situation. When it comes to that situation where the intimacy has been broken by one of the parties. And yet, as Hosea testifies, even then there can be reconciliation. There's no necessity of divorce. But there can be that reason. The covenant has been broken. The covenant needs to be restored. So Jesus here talks about marriage. He talks about against divorce. He speaks in concern particularly for these women in first century Jewish society who were being divorced for any reason by men. And he says that in such a way you make the woman into an adulteress. If you're just, she's someone, an unmarried woman in society was, was not the norm. If she enters into a marriage relationship, then you are making her an adulteress. This is your action. This is your lack of love. It's a protective word for the wife. But then you've got the question of oath-taking. Once again, we're in this cultural situation. The situation where the Jewish people are always very concerned not to take the name of the Lord their God in vain. You know, if you look at your Bibles in the Old Testament, you often get Lord in just in capital letters. And at the background of that capital letters is the actual name of God. We often pronounce it as Yahweh. We used to call it Jehovah, but that got the vowels wrong. Hebrew doesn't have vowels, so there's just four letters. But Yahweh. But the Jews, they didn't want to pronounce that name. So whenever in the sacred text it had the personal name of God, Yahweh, they wanted to substitute the word for Lord, Adonai. And that's gone through into our Bibles, where we get this Lord in capital letters. Very careful not to take the name of the Lord in vain. And so they weren't going to swear oaths by God. They tried circumlocutions, they tried other ways of expressing it. We swear by heaven. And Jesus said, but that's God's throne. We swear by Jerusalem. But that's the city of the great king. We swear by the earth. That's God's footstool. Well, we swear by our heads. Hmm, well you can't do much about them either, can you? You can't, well you can dye your hair I suppose, but you can't make one hair white or black. 
and some of us can't get hair anyway. But you're just trying to avoid the fact. Why are you making these oaths and not using the name of God? Because you don't intend to keep what you're swearing. And Jesus said, be people whose word is always reliable. People who tell the truth. People who, when they make promises, fulfil it. Some of us need to be more hesitant about making promises to people. Promises that we'll visit people. Promises that we'll pray for people. Promises we'll do this or that. And then we don't fulfil them. We don't need oaths to confirm that we're telling the truth. Jesus said anything beyond a yes or no comes from the evil one. That avoids telling the truth. Because the devil was a liar from the beginning. That is sure the reference there. Right from the beginning the devil is the liar, isn't he? When he tempts Eve, it's a lie about God and his purposes. So, be people whose word can always be relied upon. People who are going to tell you the truth. Because we follow a truthful God. Because Jesus is the truth. Because we're not selective of when we will tell the truth and when we won't. But we want to be those who always say the truth. And, if, and when we are then speaking about the gospel message, about the fact that there is salvation in Christ Jesus. People know that we are accustomed to tell the truth. And when they hear the gospel from us, they hear that as the truth. And they know us as people to be relied upon. And our whole lives, not just our marriages, become a testimony to the truth of God. So here we have the challenge of this pas these passages this morning. A challenge to look at our marriages and to ask that they might become a greater reflection of the relationship between Christ and his church. And to look at our words and say, am I a person who is always a truth speaker? So that through me, people can hear the truth about salvation in Christ Jesus and come to believe that truth. Because we believe in a promise-keeping God, we are a promise-keeping people to his glory. Let's pray. Our Lord and our Father, help us. Help us in our marriages. Help us in our helping of others in their marriages. Help us in our speaking that we may be promise-keeping people and truth-speaking people, that through our witness the world might know that you are a faithful God, totally trustworthy, and that your word is always true. In Jesus we pray. Amen.